Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hey everyone, after a short break, Sputnik Africa resumes its Afro-Verdict podcast with your host Victor Anakin. In the run-up to the 15th BRICS Summit hosted by South Africa this year, which commences tomorrow and lasts until Thursday, we are joined by Mikata Kiso Kubai, a researcher at the UNISA Institute for Global Dialogue, to give us an overview of the expectations of the upcoming summit. Mr. Kubai, welcome to Afro Verdict. More than 60 countries are invited to the BRICS summit, which begins tomorrow in South Africa. What can we expect from this event that takes place in a rather expanded format? Well, uh, thank you for this question. It's actually a very important one because uh, many people the world over you know, are quite keenly looking forward you know, to what um, pans out uh, next week. You will recall that there were some, there are many things, uh, many areas of discussion uh, that need resolution. But this year's you know, uh, summit is particularly popular for you know, the following expectations a result, you know, a conclusion, you know, to discussions around the expansion itself. Uh, you will recall that, you know, there are over 40 countries that have expressed an interest and there are about 23 countries that have actually applied. Uh, you will recall that BRICS had been discussing, you know, criteria, protocols and so on. And even what an expanded BRICS would actually look like, particularly you know, concerning its internal arrangements, how it works, uh, given that it's a consensus you know, driven forum. Lots of expectation there on that one. You know, who is going to be admitted? If at all, there will be an announcement of an ad- admission uh, this year. Uh, will or if there's an admission, will it be just a few? Will it be all three? Will be will it be all twenty three? Uh, will it be half of that, uh, or will it be deferred to the following BRICS summit uh, in Russia next year? Uh, so that's a very very big one, and of course it's big because imagine you know what you already have is a BRICS block that is quite significant in terms of its share of the global economy one, its share of the global population, its share as a you know, market. Now, if you expand it even more, you have an even bigger population, you have an even bigger market, you have an even bigger potential pool of resources, even more so for the function of the new development bank and its uh, objectives. But you also have a greater cooperation, potential cooperation and collaboration you know, in the political sphere. Now, for instance, imagine you have uh, a Saudi Arabia, you have an Iran, you have an Argentina, you have an Indonesia, you have um, Algeria, Egypt, you know, from Africa, among others. Um, you already have quite uh, a formidable group, you know, for potential influence for a particular agenda or another. So that's a very big thing. And it's particularly important that it's actually announced here. So prior to this, you know, there wasn't even as much focus and concentration and attention on BRICS until suddenly BRICS started talking about the possibility of expansion and that sort of thing. The second issue that makes uh, this year's summit uh, popular is the issue around the global financial architecture uh, and the debates and discourse you know, around your financial matters. Uh, you would have heard things like de-dollarization. And I would argue that BRICS efforts are not about de-dollarization, but about 
uh, rather integration, economic integration, financial integration, equity, fairness in global financial governance and all of that. So it's not about the dollar. It's about the world integrating and working together, you know, uh, seamlessly, you know, in, in, in better ways, finding more solutions, better solutions to challenges facing the globe, particularly developing countries, developing economies, uh, more so the global south. There's been talk about a currency. Uh, but I think that would be a bit unlikely. Perhaps maybe even an announcement that, look, uh, there's an exploration, right, on the feasibility of such a project. But what one can expect more concretely would be more decisions, more practical you know, and decisive action towards uh, the rollout of a payment system. That is easier you know, to do than a single currency. Uh, and it would be easier, it would be better to allow you know, greater integration, greater trade, uh, reduce the cost, you know, of trade transactions for trade financing, for trade payments, reduce the cost of doing business, potentially opening up more trade and interaction between uh, potential new members uh, and, you know, by the current BRICS block as it is already. So there's a lot there and the significance of this is very, very big. I mean, as you can imagine, you're literally shaking, well, not shaking, but changing <laughs> the way the world works, uh, the way the world of finance uh, essentially works. So uh, it opens up many big opportunities for developing economies, uh, such such a move. It makes you know, the realization of an expanded market uh, even more of an attainable dream, an attainable target. So, yeah, those are the main, the big Big issues, two big you know, issues uh, for me. The one would be on the political and the other would be on purely the economic. Those are the two big expectations that 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 I expect some sort of movement. So you emphasize the political and economic sides to the summit. Since there are six African countries that have signaled their interest in joining the BRICS group, what is it that attracts these countries as well as other African states to this group of five? And why is there this strong sense of interest to join? That same interest um, extends to beyond Africa. Uh, you would imagine, I understand there are some uh, European countries as well that can express some sort of interest. Now, the attraction of BRICS uh, is is not a very complicated matter. I mean, imagine you know being in a, a forum that firstly works on consensus, secondly promotes collaboration, cooperation, and peace, right? Uh, promotes fairness, you know, in global governance. Promotes equity. Promotes, in fact, democratization of the multilateral system. You know, you, you're essentially looking at, and it's something organic. You know, it's very very organic. It's not you know, an exclusionary process to say that, no, we want these ones, we don't want, no. It's about saying to the whole world that why don't we rather collaborate as opposed to, you know, dividing, you know, ourselves and creating blocks here and there and, you know, that sort of thing uh, and, and uh, creating tensions. Instead, rather work towards development because the reality is most of the global population needs and is in dire, maybe even desperate uh, need for development, infrastructure, uh, healthcare, uh, you know, you name it, work, just even jobs, you know, manufacturing. Countries want to take the case of Africa. Africa wants to develop regional value, value chains, you know, strong regional value chains that can buffer against potential global shocks, right, in the supply chain. 
such as experienced um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Africa suddenly found itself, it had money to buy equipment and money to buy vaccines, but none were available you know, to it. I mean, you had vaccine nationalism, you had vaccine hogging, right? Uh, where some states, you know, would buy five times their need, and yet there was nothing for those that did not have any at all, you know, to buy. Uh, and Africa, um, surprisingly to many, was saying, but we want to buy. We are not asking for a donation you know, of vaccines, but we want to buy. Uh, and there were none available. And lo and behold, I mean, you had you know, Russia and China you know, coming you know, in very strong. There was Sputnik you know, suddenly available, and there was um, uh, um, um, Sinopharm. You know, uh, coming up you know, uh, strongly. So you have you know, uh, uh, a lot of, uh, um, there was a, 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 a sort of, um, a, 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 what is it, a blow to multilateralism you know, during COVID-19. You had, you had a, a global solidarity that was supposed to be suddenly, literally just being tossed out the window. Right, uh, you know, where some essentially behaved as a, um, if you like, you know, everyone for himself, you know, uh, and and it it really quite was quite un, 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 unfortunate. And there's a massive opportunity for everybody, you know, within and around and associated with the BRICS block, um, you know, to to create those connectivities, those. Uh, that integration to to enable you know investment in you know by these global value chains, well these regional value chains and global value chains uh, that can potentially withstand you know such uh, global shocks, um, particularly for those countries that would be in a desperate situation should the next pandemic hit. So that so the attraction is is immense. Um, it's it's really really big. I mean considering. Just a shift alone, you know, from the current system where you have essentially the domination by just one or two or three or few, a few, a few countries, literally, you know, by, uh, telling everybody how to do things, what to do, when to do, uh, who to be friends with. The attraction is 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 that great precisely because the block says let's do things differently. Everyone has got their own. Um, local material conditions, you know, that uh, dictate, you know, that countries take particular moves, you know, particular decisions. They have different, you know, development needs. They have different um, financial needs. They have different social needs and so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, impositions, a one-size-fits-all, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite help because we've got the differences are, are too many, are too great, and the conditions, you know, of each countries of each country differ, you know, uh, quite quite significantly in many cases. So, so BRICS, you know, is able to say BRICS actually does say that no, everybody is welcome, right? Uh, everybody understand, you know, has their own needs, and all of these needs, you know, will be accommodated and will promote discussion. Right. And what uh, uh, countries agree to is what, you know, BRICS will therefore move to do, as opposed to I have a very big economy. You have a small economy. So therefore, my my voice will matter more than yours. BRICS doesn't do that. You'd imagine. I mean, China has a very large economy. I mean, it's a 60, what, 19 trillion dollar economy. 
right? And imagine the difference between China and South Africa. Uh, then South Africa is what? You know, it's sort of what? 300, 380 billion dollar economy compared to a 19 trillion dollar economy. Um, but yet South Africa has just as you know, a good a voice within the block you know, as China. So, so th- these are some. These are some of the 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 the, the attractions, you know, that you know make make uh, BRICS so so popular. Sure, sure. Now that you mentioned the possible expansion of the BRICS group, can you discuss the potential benefits and challenges of increased economic integration between the BRICS nations and the countries that have expressed the intention to join? The benefits for those that have expressed an intention are the same as the benefits you know for those that have actually applied you know to join the BRICS because uh, those that have expressed uh, an interest uh, would be perhaps maybe adopting a wait and see to see what you know how it plays out with those that have actually applied and actually joined and to see what you know benefits accrue uh, once they see you know what they expect to see perhaps only then will they you know uh, jump in and actually apply um integration you know, uh, imagine an expanded <laughs> BRICS market uh, an expanded political block. So you've got greater influence, greater you know voice, you know greater opportunity to be heard uh, at the political level. Uh, you have greater collaboration, and therefore you are able to move an agenda you know quicker, better. Uh, you are able to influence and debate and discuss things and reach consensus among you know many you know that uh, that uh, constitute you know the larger chunk of the global population. So those are the the key benefits, and they're not small. I mean, trade you know in those spaces we're talking about very serious volumes. Um, imagine, imagine with the payment system, for instance, you know that would enable, say, you know, Russia, for example, uh, to be able to export more freely, right? Oil and gas and other, you know, products, uh, agricultural products, energy products, uh, technology products, uh, and so on. Uh, imagine Algeria being able to trade, you know, with, uh, say, India or China or Russia or Iran in their own currency. Right, uh, you, you, you. There are massive potential benefits, but then there are also challenges, potential challenge, right? Because the bigger the number, the more complex, you know, uh, the 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 management of the dynamics, right, within the block, right? Particularly given that you know this is a block that works on consensus. How how easy will it be to maintain that? When you have so many and uh, uh, members that we, all of them, you know, have you know some uh, different, uh, varied interests, right, and inter- different needs, uh, different you know uh, um, uh, geographic re- realities, social realities, political you know realities, and so on. Uh, so these are some of the issues. So you'd have both you know uh, challenges in terms of uh, the internal workings of the BRICS itself, intra-BRICS co- co- cooperation and collaboration, and the internal protocols. Uh, but the potential spin-offs, however, economic benefits, you know, would be would be quite quite um, uh, significant, I think. For those of you that have just tuned in, you're listening to Afro Verdict brought to you by Sputnik Africa. With the BRICS Summit right around the corner, my friend Mikatekisu Kobayi has just explained the benefits of joining BRICS by the countries that have expressed such interest. 
which basically comes down to an increased market and an increased voice in the global arena. Let's hear what Mr. Kubai has to say on the role the BRICS summit will have on the current balance of power in international relations. Thank you, Mr. Kubai. Among the benefits you just listed, you spoke to the increased political integration. Tell me, what's your take on the impact the 15th BRICS summit will have on the global balance of power as we see it today? Uh, Mr. Abnukin, the, 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 the geopolitics have been uh, shifting already, even before uh, the, the, the start of this, uh, this year's chairship. They've already been shifting. In fact, there are even some who believe uh, that you know, a new order has already taken foot. A new global, a new world order has already taken foot. There are some that believe so. I don't know uh, if, if you know, it has already taken foot. But there's uh, what we all know and what we can all see is that there's definitely, you know, a great shift, you know, in the global balance of power. Uh, and that shift, you know, will only be, you know, become more expressed, you know, more pronounced, you know, post this um, this year's summit. Right? Uh, you you have, you know, uh, you see, take take um, maybe go, going back to just the, the the rudimentary level, you know, uh, breaks at a rudimentary level. You're talking about countries from different various regions. You've got uh, now Asia countries from Asia, Eurasia, Africa, South America. Right, these are these are different continents coming together to say that you know, uh, look, you know, this is you know a common agenda that we carry, uh, and this is you know uh, what would what how we'd like to carry them and uh, promote them and so on. Uh, that's already a big deal. Now imagine you have all of this more, you know, now uh, coming more members joining from the Middle East. Uh, you've got Arab states, Gulf states coming in. You've got more Asian states. You've got more African states. You've got more Latin American states, uh, you know, and so on coming in and saying Eurasian states, uh, the number suddenly becomes bigger. So you have, you know, a suddenly bigger political block. You have a suddenly bigger economic block. You have a bigger, you know, so, so bigger everything, you know, uh, if, if you, if, if you like. I mean, imagine if for say, an expanded BRICS decides now. Let us talk about you know security cooperation among all of us, for instance. That's a, that would be a huge, huge, huge uh, um, you know uh, issue, uh, and for that matter, a cooperation that would include both Saudi Arabia and Iran, for instance. That only re- not, not only so very recently um, were at loggerheads with each other. Now you suddenly you have even um, Syria applying to join BRICS. You have Cuba applying to join BRICS. Right? Uh, so the, it's, it's, the potential for, 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 for the realization you know, or the expression of this great shift you know, uh, is, is very much palpable. It's very much there. It's very tangible. Uh, and I think it will be uh, uh, seen and felt, you know, a bit more after this summit. And closing with the economic relevance of the summit that you've spoken about, what is the significance of the BRICS New Development Bank and its role in financing infrastructure projects on the African continent? What do you think about that? The BRICS Development Bank is very important uh, for, for a number of reasons. Um, you, 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 when you look at the bank, you have to, you have to first look at where the BRICS block itself started. In uh, 2009, 
uh, the BRICS bloc set out to intervene, uh, you know, for a fairer, more equitable global financial architecture, a global a governance system, a better, fairer, more equitable uh, global governance system, you know, of uh, the global economy. Um, 15 years, you know, since then, you have, you know, a, 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 a new development bank that has already started funding projects. Uh, that has now suddenly started um, issuing bonds, you know, in member local currencies, right? Uh, you have, you know, an actual physical expression, you know, of the original intentions of BRICS. The second element is that you have uh, a BRICS bank now that with additional members, it has new members, it's what got, it has uh, uh, Egypt, uh, Uruguay, uh, the UAE, there's Bangladesh, and there are more that you know uh, would potentially be joining the bank as well. But there's a lot of potential for additional resources uh, to be pulled, you know, uh, into the bank by the bank uh, for the um, for financing on the on the continent. Now, the the interesting thing about um, uh, what key difference between the the NDB uh, and many others? One, the turnaround time is between. The, the application of uh, the application for financing and the actual outcomes you know of uh, you know the approval process outcomes of the approval process for financing about three months or so so I mean an, an application can go in uh this month you know and money can be finance can be disbursed three months later whereas others you know can take maybe six to six months to a year others maybe even two years. So, so, and the conditionalities are also, you know, a lot better, a lot simpler, a lot easier, you know, on uh, the the applicants, you know, for finance. So, the NDB is is you know is a phenomenal instrument uh, for of the BRICS block, you know, towards um, the realization of its reform and development agenda. Huge, but we also have to remember that the NDB is young. The NDB is a young bank. I mean, it only started operating in, uh, when, what is it, um, uh, 2016? It's a very young bank, you know, and it's only growing and it will grow. And it, you know, in time, you know, it will be able to do the sort of things that even the largest banks, you know, multilateral banks in the world are able to do. The BRICS bank would be able to do that as well. So the potential, you know, for, 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 uh, some sort of, uh, you know, impact, uh, uh, you know, by the bank is huge, even better for Africa as well. But it's not only Africa, even South America. Imagine the, the footprint of the NDB would potentially expand to include uh, most corners of the world as well. Latin America, Asia, uh, and perhaps even potentially uh, the Middle East as well. So it will, it will, it will be, in a matter of speaking, uh, uh, you know, a more expansive bank, you know, than it currently is, than it currently is right now. Mm, I understand, but tell me, to what extent could you describe the new development bank as an alternative to the Western financial institutions? Well, I would say that the NDB uh, um, is still young; it's still growing. Yeah, uh, and it's working. It's 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 working very hard, you know, towards being that um, a significant alternative 
for the time being, you know, it, the NDB, does, for instance, can't compete with the IMF or the World Bank or even the Asian Deve- Infrastructure Development Bank. Remember, it's still young. I mean, it's still generating the finance. It's still generating the capital. It's still generating the the lending uh, portfolio, uh, and so on. It's growing, so it hasn't it hasn't reached you know exactly where it wants to be yet to fully realize the potential or its mandate. You know, as uh, established all the way back then in two thousand and nine, before it was even established. Uh, so, so it's still it's still. As an alternative, it's on its way to becoming a fully realizable, you know, or a fully realized alternative. It's on its way there. So it's in transition to becoming that. But is it there yet? I would argue that it is not yet there. It is on its way there. Mm. And how long do you estimate it will take for the NDB to become a proper rival to the Western financial institutions? Well, it could be a while. Yeah, no, it could be sooner. It depends, you know, on how, for instance, uh, the, the the expansion of BRICS, you know, plays out. For instance, uh, how quickly it's able to to uh, uh, mobilize additional resources, uh, how it's able to map mobilize additional capital capital, uh, you know, from possibly new members joining the joining the bank. Um, it depends. I mean, it could be, you know, my, my, my save, my, my, my bet, you know, would be that in five years, uh, the NDB would be a much, you know, more formidable, uh, institution than it currently is now. Fair enough. Yes, that's quite a fair estimate taking into account uh, the NDB's growth rate since its establishment. Mr. Kubai, thank you so much for giving us your time and joining AfroVerdict today. I'm sure our listeners will have definitely learned something new. That was Mika Tekisu Kubai, who laid out the prospects of tomorrow's BRICS summit, explaining that the shift in geopolitics after the summit will only become more evident as the different continents are coming together in the group known as BRICS. Stay tuned to find out what the 15th BRICS summit will bring tomorrow. And don't forget you can follow our updates on the Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, Twitter account and other social media. Also keep in mind that you can listen to our AfriVerdict podcast on multiple platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast, AfriPods, CastBox and Deezer. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode and you're looking forward to updates from tomorrow's events. Without further ado, I bid you farewell and I'll see you next time. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.